happens fast, demanding bigger and better. From preschool classrooms to the corporate high-rise, we are born and bred doers. Working to earn, wrestling for rewards, pushing, climbing, striving, the pursuit of perfection is real. Success and accomplishment are lives like books judged by their cover. How easily billboards and news feeds become the standards that we reach for. Our worth, impact, and very existence questioned and taunted by choir voices called doubt, shame, and insecurity. But there is one voice that speaks louder. He redefined success and paved a new road to true perfection. His name is Jesus. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you on a really cold Super Bowl Sunday. I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Let's get ready to dig in this morning. Grab your notes or fire up that Journey Church app so that you can follow along that way. Man, it's so good. After 47 weeks of not having our entire church in two campuses like we had done for more than two years. We're back at Summit Christian Academy today, um, almost a packed house over there. I was preaching thinking, my goodness, we're going to have to have two services over here um, really soon. I, I want to say something just to clarify. You heard Pastor Mike say, you heard the guys on the video say, we're, we're trying to open up seats for new guests. It's really more than that. We're trying to open up seats for our church family to come home. Uh, before COVID hit, we had a congregation of 500 people who worshiped every week at Summit Lakes Middle School. They they were not guests. They were our church family. And when we shut all that down, slowly our church has been making its way back. But for us to invite our church back without having any seats for them would be like us knowing we had family coming home for Thanksgiving and not having enough seats around the table. Like it's not whether or not we want to go to the school. Two years ago, our ch- it took the school to have our church. And we know if everyone's going to come home, which we think they will over the next few months before we move in our new building, we got to be at two places. So as video teaching comes and as we expand to more campuses over there and as we need more people to serve, thank you for being on mission so all of our family can be together as it's time for them to come home. In a new series called Chasing Perfection, which has been so awesome, it's based on one verse in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You're going to hear Jesus say, if you want to be connected to God like I am connected to God, here are your options. You can be as perfect as me. Or you can live in relationship with me. And as we read through Matthew chapter 5, and I think even as we get through today, we're going to think, there are parts of me that can never be as perfect as Jesus, so the whole of me better live in relationship with Jesus. That's where we're going to get today. This whole series is designed with this premise in mind. We want to learn how much we have to depend on Jesus to live like Jesus. Like we're trying to figure out how every beat of our heart can make us think about Jesus. And I think today we're going to get close to seeing that. Everyone say Jesus. This series is all about Jesus and all about not just living like Jesus, but learning how much we need Jesus in order for that to happen. Here are the goals today as we look at verses 17 through 20. Number one, to see our lives with the eyes of Jesus. Because I believe if we could see ourselves like Jesus sees us, we will see even better our extreme need for him. And if number one is accomplished, if we are able to see through the spiritual lens of our life so that we can see our hearts like Jesus sees us, then hopefully we can begin to understand the heart behind the habits that make us desperate for Jesus. What is it on the inside of us that's broken that causes things on the outside of us to feel broken or be broken by us or to allow us to experience the brokenness of others. What is it on the inside that Jesus has 
to be a part of so that we can be more like him and so we can fix the habits of our life that hurt us and bring hurt to others from time to time. Those are the goals today. We always, before we dig into scripture, we pray. So for those of you watching online, good morning. For those of you in the room, um, let's bow our heads together and let's just ask God to speak to our hearts. Take a deep breath if you haven't done that yet. (sighs) Today, and let's just try to be present in this moment. This day's got so much going on, so exciting, so many different things going on with our team in the Super Bowl. But let's be present spiritually in this moment. And if you would, whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask, just ask God to speak to you and tell him you will listen. That's our prayer, Lord, that you'd speak to us and that we would listen. Lord, we know we can never really see how much we need Jesus until we see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. So show us today what Jesus sees in us and teach us to develop a heart that is desperate for him. That's our prayer. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20 is where we're going to be hanging out today. Let me, let me catch you up. We've had 13 messages up to this point in Matthew chapter 5. We've learned the character of Jesus, how to, how to have a heart and a life like Jesus. We've seen the consequences of that character, that when you really live like Jesus, people will persecute you and insult you. We've learned the importance of being salty, that you have to preserve who Jesus is. You've got to bring some value and some flavor to life spiritually. And we learned very specifically last week that if we're going to continue to tell people about Jesus who don't know him yet, we're going to be hated by those who have heard of him, but who have rejected him. And we asked the critical question last week, do we care enough about those who have never heard about Jesus to kind of just keep moving through those who hate Jesus and hate us as a result of Jesus. I think that's a question Christians have to answer in the year 2021. Do we care enough about those who don't know Jesus to keep moving through those who hate Jesus and hate us because of our love for Jesus? As we get to verse 17, Jesus is now going to begin to teach in a way that 22 weeks from now, um, when we get to July 11th, we will finish our 33rd message in the Sermon on the Mount. 33 messages on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And on July 11th, when we get to the last verse of Matthew 7, the 33rd message in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to hear people at the end of Jesus' message say something like this. We have never heard anyone teach like this guy teaches. We've never heard anyone teach with his, with his authority. We've never heard anyone with his style. We've never heard anyone say things that he says. And they're drawn to him because of his teaching. That style of teaching and even the tension of the teaching begins today in verse 17. And here's what Jesus says as he begins to unpack this great sermon. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not often that Jesus will start a message by saying, don't be confused. But that's how he begins this message. As you look at verse 17, he begins the message with do not think. So before he tells him what to think, he says, I need to make sure you don't misunderstand what I'm saying because he's going to set a pretty radical teaching curriculum as he unpacks the depth of Matthew chapter 5. 
He said, if you're not listening closely and if you don't understand what I'm trying to do, you may misunderstand what I'm trying to do. So don't think the wrong thing about what I'm saying. And he's saying that because there's a phrase of contention that he's going to use over and over and over again. So you hear Jesus say, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't think the wrong things. And there's a biblical science of interpretation called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is reading a verse in the proper context so that you say 2,000 years later exactly what Jesus was saying 2,000 years ago so you don't misrepresent something. So you don't take one verse out of context and say, here's what God says when that's not really what God was trying to say at all. And in the biblical science of hermeneutics, when you hear Jesus say, don't get confused about this, you know there's either something that he just said or that he's just going to say that could be confusing. So you got to figure out, what's he talking about? And as you do that, you very quickly see he's getting ready to use a phrase of contention that can be misrepresented over and over and over. He's going to say, you have heard that it was said. You might have a translation that says, you have heard that it was written. We, we could translate it this way. You've heard that in Christianity, you've heard that the Old Testament says, but I tell you. Jesus said, don't, don't think, don't think that I'm coming to contradict the Old Testament. I'm not coming to contradict it. I'm coming to clarify it. Don't think I'm coming to condemn old teaching is not necessary anymore. I'm coming to help you understand how this old teaching can bring you closer to Jesus. He said, don't, don't think that I have come to abolish what was said is not any is, is not important anymore. I've come to fulfill what was said and to help you understand how it can be fulfilled in your life. And Jesus said, and I think this is important from the lips of Jesus in 2021, anyone who believes that Old Testament scriptures are not relevant anymore and they teach people they're not relevant anymore, they're going to be called very, very small in the kingdom of God. There are some Bible teachers teaching that way in 2021 that you're aware of and that I'm aware of. First 39 books of the Bible, they're just meant for Jewish people a really, really long time ago. None of that applies to us. Jesus said, people who teach that that's not important, who practice that that's not important, stay away from those people. But he said, those who will teach it and practice it, the way that I clarify it for the purposes that I clarify, man, they're going to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but if there was a list, like a whiteboard in heaven, that said, who's great in the kingdom of heaven? I don't know that my name would ever be written up there. I never think of myself as having a day where people are like, man, he's great in the kingdom of heaven. But if all you have to do is teach what Jesus said about Old Testament scripture and what it means, and then practice, try to practice what Jesus did, if that's all it takes, I think we got a shot this week to be great in the kingdom of heaven because I'm going to teach it And I think together we can try to practice it. So that'll be the goal today, to try to hear what Jesus is saying without misunderstanding at all this phrase that Jesus uses six times in Matthew 5 to get deep. You've heard it. Let me clarify what it means for you and your relationship with God. So when I was in high school, they came out with the uh, the WWJD bracelets. Y'all remember those? They weren't bracelets. They were kind of, it was more like nylon than than the rubber bracelets. Um, now they've got new acronyms that kids are wearing on their wrist. You got WWJD and then you've also got JWLF. Anyone have the JWLF one? Anyone even see, seen one of those? A lot of our college kids wear them. It means Jesus would love first. I saw someone who had the WWJD and then that one. And I was like, what's that mean? And it's like, Jesus would love for just like in every interaction. I want to start with the love of Jesus towards me. Okay. That, um, that makes sense. Um, there's, there's also one that I've seen some people wearing this week that says P 
WBT, P, WBT, Patrick will beat Tom. Um, but I think that's like just Kansas, I think that's just Kansas City. Um, and this week, like, I need to get that bracelet. Yes, we all need to um, wear that bracelet. I'm, I'm going to give you one more since we're just allowed to make up acronyms about um, Jesus. I'm going to give you another one. WDJS. What does Jesus see? I think this text is trying to teach us a little bit about what does Jesus see? And really, this is part question and part insight. And I don't know whether you need the question or the insight, but I believe there are some people here or watching online who need the question. And I believe there are some people here or watching online who need the insight. The question is this. When Jesus looks at your life, what does he see? Like when Jesus looked at your life last week, what did he see? When Jesus looks at your life this next week, what will he see? Good question. What does Jesus see when he looks at my life? But the insight behind that question is this. Jesus is looking at your life and evaluating you spiritually. How's that hit your heart? See, some of you, like the first question, you just didn't process it that much because you've not, you've not had the insight. Jesus is looking at your life. What did you see? I mean, I had school last week and I had work and I had this. Like you're, you're just trying to see like if your life was being recorded. But the insight behind that, Jesus is looking at your life and he is evaluating you spiritually. can be a powerful thing to make a step back and say, as Jesus looks at my life and evaluates me, do I need to raise the bar a little bit? Because he says there is, there is a bar that's too low. And he says it in verse 20. As Jesus looks at my life and evaluates me, do I need to raise the bar? Because there is a bar that's not high enough. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is looking at your life. Jesus is evaluating your life. And there is a standard. There is a bar. Do you need to raise the bar? Because there is a bar that's too low. Now, to understand this phrase, I think there's two words that are important to understand. The first is righteousness. If we could just define that like real simply theologically, the word righteousness means having a right relationship, having a right standing with the God of heaven and earth. It means this, there is a God, I'm not him, but I'm okay with him. Would you say that about yourself today? Let me put it in simple, tragic terms. Start snowing during the service. You're driving home. Somebody's coming towards you, their car skids, hits yours, and before the Super Bowl, you're standing before God. You good? You good? You okay with God? You in a right standing with God? Everything okay between you and God? That's righteousness. Me and God, we're good. Do you have righteousness? Do you have something that has made you and God good? If not, if you're thinking, I don't know that I'm ready for that, I, I can give you an opportunity to get ready for that by the end of the service today. You say, well, what do I need? You need to be better than the Pharisees. You say, well, what are, what are Pharisees? The word Pharisee translates, like if you were just translate the word 2,000 years ago, it translated as separated ones, people who had removed themselves. They were the most influential party of Jewish leaders in Jesus' day. Really three groups of religious leaders in Judaism three years ago, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, the Sadducees, who were kind of the political leaders, and then the Essenes, who were kind of activists against kind of formalized, organized religion. John the Baptist was probably one of those who lived in the Dead Sea region. They kind of lived in, in communal living, and they studied the Word together. They just rejected anything 
that was, that was modern, and they look forward to the coming of the Messiah. Those three parties, the Pharisees, were by far the biggest of those. Jewish historian Josephus tells us there were 6,000 Pharisees in Israel during Jesus' day, and they stood out. They were committed to Jewish legalism, which meant everything in the Bible, you follow it carefully. They were committed to Jewish nationalism, which meant God can't move until Israel rules the entire world. They were committed to Jewish religious tradition, which meant we've got to keep everything as it's always been. We can't change anything because our religion is our tradition. Our tradition is our religion. And and they wore special outfits. They literally made themselves Joseph in the technicolor coat. They made themselves a coat of many colors. The, the Pharisees were known by the, by the long robes that they wore. They wore very long, ornate robes, and they kind of had hats that they wore that were really ornate. They stood out. They, they stood out. They wanted to stand out. They wanted to walk down the street. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be known, and they wanted to be thought of this way. There goes a Pharisee. They are so much closer to God than I am. I could never be like them. That, w- that was their goal, to be seen and to be thought of as spiritual. Their goal was for people on the outside to look at them and say, wow, they are so close to God. On the outside, they appeared to be really close to God. And here comes Jesus saying, you got to be better than them because they don't make the cut. Like, Whoa, why? Why don't they make the cut, Jesus? Because the Pharisees' righteousness was based on actions. The Pharisees' righteousness was based on that. Let's remember righteousness means right standing with God. You say, what what does that mean? The Pharisees thought they were close to God because of who they were and how they lived their life, not who God was and what Jesus did for them. Let me say it again. The Pharisees believed they were okay with God because of who they were and how they lived their life. There are a large group of people who've been raised spiritually thinking this, that you are either close to God or far the far from God based on who you are and how you live your life. It always leads to a spirit of arrogance or anxiety. I'm real. I'm so much better than everyone else, or I can never do enough to please God. It never really leads to a spirit of peace. That was the Pharisees. And Jesus in Matthew chapter five is going to, he's going to illustrate six areas where they got it right. But he said, they still, they still haven't passed the bar of what true righteousness is. You don't even have to fill these in. I filled them in on your notes for you so that you wouldn't get a hand cramp as I move through these quickly. Jesus said the Pharisees' righteousness is based on their actions, and here's the actions they keep. They don't murder. That's good. They don't commit adultery. That's good. They don't get divorced for unbiblical reasons. That's good. They don't break their promises. And then Jesus would say, like, especially the big promises. They don't break the big promises. That's good. They only retaliate against those who hurt them. That, like, according to Old Testament law, that that would be right. Um, and, and they love people who love them. She said, your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought the relationship with God was dependent on them, not God. And honestly, for you and I here 2000 years later, like if this is the list, like if this is all you have to do to have a right standing with God, most of us are probably pretty close and don't even need Jesus' help. It's like, don't murder. Okay, like, check. If you wouldn't check that one, please see Pastor Ryan after church. Um, Number two, don't commit adultery. It's like, yeah, I would agree with that. Number three, don't get divorced for an unbiblical reason. Okay. Number four, don't break your promises. Try, Try not to ever do that. Number five, only retaliate against those who hurt you. Okay, probably that's accurate. 
even on social media, love, love people who love you. It's like, that's the list. That's all I have to do to be right with God. Well, the Pharisees would have said, you know, we keep the laws. It's on us. God has to reward us. Jesus would say, no, you, you got you to gotta do, you gotta do better than that. See, if our righteousness is based on our actions and this is a list, we're good. We really don't even need Jesus. However, if righteousness is more than this, and it's something that we can't attain to, we're going to need a helper. We're going to need a savior. And, and his name is Jesus. We're going to need the father's love, not just to earn the father's reward. In Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus tells a story that we know as the parable of the prodigal son. It's, it's about a father who represents God, who has two boys, an older one and a younger one. And it's a story about how the, how the boys see the father's reward and the father's relationship. The, the parable starts as an answer to this question. Jesus was having lunch one day with people who did this. Like the Pharisees showed up and they were like, all those people you're hanging out with, they don't keep all those laws. What are we supposed to learn about God from this meal, this community that you're hanging out with? And Jesus says, Let's, let me give you a story. He said, father has two sons, older and a younger. The younger says to the father, I want everything you have to give me. I just don't want to live in a relationship with you. So give me your reward, but I don't want a relationship. And the dad says, okay, sells half of his inheritance, gives the younger son his reward. They break relationship. The younger son lives life with the reward, but not the relationship and gets to the end of that after he spent all the reward and wakes up one day and says, having all of the father's reward without having a relationship with the father is totally empty. I'm going to go back to my father now and I'm going to say, I don't need anything from you except your love and your mercy. I don't need any reward if you will just give me relationship. And the son shows up and the father says, of course, I will give you my love and my relationship. And because I'm good, I will also give you rewards. Let's have a party. And they kill the fatty calf and they have a party. As this is happening, the older son, who it appears has chosen relationship over reward, comes to the edge of the barn and was like, what's going on in the barn? Dad says, your brother who chose reward over relationship has come back and now wants to live in relationship with us again. Isn't this amazing? And the older brother says, no, it's not. Because my whole life I have been serving you for a moment like this and you have never given me a moment like this and he doesn't deserve it and I've deserved it my whole life and basically says it, it has appeared that I've been serving you for relationship but my heart has been serving you for reward and if this is the way it works that someone who hasn't lived for reward gets it and someone has doesn't get it. If I don't get your reward, I don't want your relationship and he won't even come into the party. Jesus gets to the end of the story and reveals that the prodigal son is, is not the wild son. The prodigal son is the older son who was trying to earn his father's reward, manipulate the father, and only was in a relationship with the father for the reward. The prodigal son was the older brother. The son living in relationship was the younger brother. Jesus gave this entire parable to teach us that the Pharisees were, were prodigal sons. They were prodigal sons. They were people who believed their reward from God was based on how they live their lives, not the love and the grace and the mercy and the goodness of the Father. And Jesus said, don't, don't be like them. Don't be like them. So how do I know if I'm like them? How do, I, how do I know if I'm a prodigal son? 
reading through a devotional this year in Proverbs written by Tim Keller. And this week, one of the things that he challenged those of us reading us with is he said, the next time you face a case of unanswered prayer, ask yourself, do you love God for God himself or for the things that you get from him? The younger son's mindset was, even if God gives me nothing anymore, if I have relationship, that's good enough. The older son's mindset was, I will serve the father as long as I know there's a reward coming. But as soon as I see that's not the way it works, I'm out. Are you the younger son or are you the older son? Are you the prodigal son or the son living in grace? Because that's the one Jesus is looking for. Jesus said, God can't really work with a heart trying to earn their way based on them. God has to work with the younger son who says, I have no legs to stand on, but if you will love and accept me, I am here. That's the heart that Jesus receives. Remember, God doesn't look at hearts the way we look at hearts. He told the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, Lord doesn't look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart, and God is looking for people who want to live in relationship with him, for him, not just for what he gives. The Pharisees were not these type of people. That's why when Jesus was arguing with him in John chapter 8, he said to him, if God were your father, like if you lived in relationship with God, you would accept his son. If God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Jesus was saying, if you, if you really lived in relationship with God, I would be enough for you. But the fact that you need me plus other things tells me you're not in a relationship with God. You say, how do I know if I'm the prodigal? If you're a follower of Jesus, who when life begins to crumble, health begins to crumble, career begins to crumble, if you are a follower of Jesus who when life goes bad, you turn and you run from God when Jesus is saying, hang on, I'm still right here. And you're saying, no, it's not enough just to have you. I need you and my health. I need you and my marriage. I need you and my kids. I need you and my career. I need you and my finances. Like, like God, yes, yes, I love you, but I really need what you can provide for me. If, and if all you can provide for me is Jesus, that's not enough. Jesus showed up to the Pharisees and said, you're trying to earn God's love and reward and you're proving that you don't have a heart that's in it for the relationship because he sent you me to be in a relationship with. And you're saying, that's not good enough. I need... I need Jesus plus. I need Jesus plus. So Jesus says your heart will reveal that. See, the prodigal's righteousness was based on I have earned everything that God has given me and everything God could give me. The Christian's righteousness is totally different. It's based on an attitude of the heart that's dependent on Jesus for their righteousness. The follower of Jesus is the younger son. It's the one who says the reward without the relationship is nothing. I just want to live in relationship with Jesus. I had a friend years ago that gave me one of the most impactful books that probably I've read in the last decade. It's a book called Accidental Pharisees by Larry Osborne. Like it's a, it's a really easy read. It's a book I'd recommend to everyone in our church. And it's a book about slipping into a rhythm as you get really passionate about your faith to thinking it's about you and it's not about Jesus even to the point where God thinks a big deal about you and like, wow, God's really using you and wow, God really owes you and you are good and they are bad. It's, it's a book about looking around the world and thinking, hmm, I'm doing pretty good compared to everyone else. 
When my friend gave me this book, I couldn't wait to read it because I literally I could have written on the inside 10 people in my life who I thought were Pharisees and I thought this book would prove it. I thought this is going to be awesome. Um, it's going to show me that these 10 people are indeed the Pharisees I thought they were. And about by page five, I thought, uh-oh. Um, I literally, I have it written here. You're the only service I've shown this to. The fifth page of the first chapter, I wrote, ouch. <laughs> oh, no. I'm a Pharisee. He gave me this book because he didn't know how to tell me. Like he told me, maybe God will show you Pharisee. He gave me this book because he thinks I'm a Pharisee. And I read this book about how I was trying to earn and keep God's affection rather than living as the younger son who says, I don't need anything, but I just want to live in relationship. That is enough. Pastor Ryan and I this week on discuss on the podcast, when did your heart have the biggest shift in this area. And we talked about two books, Prodigal God by Tim Keller and Accidental Pharisee by Larry Osborne, and how God opened my eyes to the fact that for most of my life, I was lived in a religious system that made me the older brother. Do, 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 instead of become the younger brother and just throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. That's the heart that Jesus is looking for. And when Jesus can get to the heart, he can change the habits. That's number two. We, we want to see what Jesus sees so that... We can get to the heart that is behind the habits that don't honor Jesus. So the Pharisee's righteousness says, I earn God's favor and blessings through my behavior. The Christian's heart is the exact opposite. It's an attitude of dependence on Jesus for our righteousness. The Christian's heart says, I cannot stand before God on my best behavior unless Jesus stands with me. Jesus is my righteousness. It's interesting that the second piece of the spiritual armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Basically, Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, if you want to protect your heart and your soul, you have to let Jesus stand on your behalf in front of God every moment of every day. If you want to protect your heart and your soul, Jesus has to stand in your place before God every day. That's what righteousness is because our hearts, our hearts need help. And folks, I don't know if you know this, but scripture says that your heart demands your attention. Your heart demands your attention. You've got to know your heart. And Jeremiah 17 says this about our heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Your heart is sick. Your heart is sick. Your heart is broken. Your heart lies to you. And Jeremiah, in his book of Lamentation, basically says, when I look at my heart, my heart is deceitful. It believes the wrong things. It's beyond cure. It's broken. And he asks a question, who can understand it that would be answered 700 years later when a little baby was born in Bethlehem and his name was what? Jesus. Jeremiah's like, my heart is so broken. My heart is so sick. Who in the world will ever be able to help my heart? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one who can help our hearts. And as he changes our hearts, he changes our habits. And as he changes our habits, he changes our life. So when we look at how Jesus teaches actions, he says, you have to explain actions with attitudes because your attitudes are where your spiritual dependence lives. So how does Jesus move through these actions that he doesn't want us to confuse? He said, you've heard that it was written, don't murder but that's but what I'm really saying, you got you got to figure out all this anger in your heart. Like you, it's been written, don't murder. But I'm telling you, if you want to become like me, you've got to figure out the anger piece. Jesus said, like you've heard that it was written, don't commit adultery. But like I'm telling you, 
That is all about the eyes and the heart of lust that you have towards people that you're not married to. Like, yeah, the world says don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, like, you've got to protect your heart and your eyes from emotional, intimate, inappropriate even conversations and engagement with people who aren't your spouse. You've heard that it was said, don't get divorced for an unbiblical reason. But Jesus says, I'm telling you through some of the most difficult seasons of marriage, you can actually learn what my faithfulness to you looks like. To forgive and to love anyway. You're thinking, "Ah, I would need a lot of Jesus' help to do that. Jesus says, you've heard, don't break your promises, but... I want to teach you to live with so much integrity that you don't even have to make promises. You shouldn't have to sign a contract. People shouldn't have to force you to keep your word because you promised. I want to teach you how to have real integrity. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said only retaliate against those who hurt you. But Jesus says, what if we would learn to trust God with the results against those who have hurt us? And we would say, God, I know that they hurt me. And I don't know why that happens, but I know you love me. So I'm going to leave all the consequences of what should happen to them in, you, in your hands. Jesus, I want to teach you trust. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love people who love you. I want to teach you to love like me, which doesn't just mean putting up with your enemies. It means praying for them and trying to figure out how to bless them. See, when we look at the actions, look at the actions, it's like, pretty good guy. I mean, I don't know that there was anyone this morning who woke up and thought, Lord, help me not to commit murder. If so, you should call Pastor Ryan about that because that's a, that's, we, um, we need to help you if you're really thinking about killing someone. But there are a lot of people in 2020 and 2021 who had to think, Lord, I need help processing this anger. Because I promise you, my heart does not feel what Jesus' heart feels in this issue. I, I don't say this in jest. I say this seriously. If you are praying right now to not commit adultery and you already know the person that you're contemplating that with, you do need to talk to your small group leader. You need to talk to an accountability partner. You need to talk to one of our pastors today because we need to pull you back from that ledge. You do not have to take that step. That could just throw your life and family away. But Jesus says, if we will start with lust, we'll never even get to adultery. Like if you say guard my eyes and my heart emotionally and intimacy attractionally, just guard my eyes and my heart from anyone who's not my spouse. Like that's a, you say, I, I will need Jesus' help to do that. Yes. Don't get divorced for an unbiblical reason. Okay. Try to fight through your marriage when your covenant has been broken. I don't think I can do that without Jesus. Don't break your promises. Have total integrity. The New Testament will say even to your own hurt. I will need Jesus' help for that. Only retaliate against those who hurt you. No, just trust God to take care of those who hurt you. I will need Jesus' help with that. Love people who love you. No, love even your enemies and try to bless them. I'll need Jesus' help with that. See, when we look at the list of attitudes, when, when we see Jesus saying, I'm trying to deal with your heart, not your habits, we look at this list and say, Jesus, if this is where you need us to be like you, I cannot do it without you. I'm younger son, hopeless. I am like me personally, 43 years into my journey, don't have the anger thing figured out. Need clear eyes and a clear heart. Need to be more faithful. I want more integrity. 
I need to learn to trust with an okay spirit when things go wrong relationally. I want to love people who hurt me and hate me. Like, Jesus, if that's the list, I am hopeless without you. Would you please help me? This week, Pastor Ryan asked me on our podcast, Christian, which of these six areas in 2020 did you need the most help with? And I thought I knew the answer immediately. Like I looked at the list and one of them jumped off the page. And then I started looking at the list and I said, no, actually, there's two. And then I started and I said, no, actually, there's three. And I thought, man, my heart is so broken. I don't know that I can do any of them without Jesus. And Jesus is saying, exactly. You're going to learn in Matthew chapter 5 that you either have to become just like me or you have to rely on me every minute of every day. And he said, when you realize the attitudes of your heart are broken, he says in verse 19, you're going to learn to practice dependence upon me. Whoever practices and teaches these commands is going to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, if you monitor your attitudes every moment of every day, you're going to have times every day where you think, Still need Jesus to work there. Still broken there. You have to make it a daily practice and be aware of the attitudes of your heart. It's what I call, if you look at the title of our Bible study today, practicing at home, practice at home, practice at home. Literally, you try every time you have an attitude swell up in your heart that is not the attitude of Jesus, you immediately stop and say, Jesus, without you, without you, I'm hopeless. My heart is hopelessly broken. I literally learned to develop a moment-by-moment dependence on Jesus. Now, every time I think of the word practice, I think of Allen Iverson, um, for those of you who are sports fans, and I think of my band teacher. I was in the band from fifth grade to eighth grade, and then I wasn't in the band. Part of it was behavior, um, and part of it was at, at our school, our very small school, if you were not in the marching band in high school, you were not allowed to be in the concert band. So I, I was in the band from fifth grade to eighth grade playing the trumpet, actually enjoyed it, but then I, but then I was not in the band anymore. And, my, and our, our band director at our school was nuts. Um, like, he was crazy, and he yelled, and he screamed, um, and he was awesome musically, but like, he was nuts. So every time I hear the word practice, I think about him because he had the little, like the little conductor stick that he would use and kind of hit on his deal. But he had a bag of them that hung off of his podium because he would break at least one every Sunday, at least, or at least one every class period because his pet peeve was people playing their instrument when he was trying to teach someone else a, a part of the song. So like if, if he was conducting and we were all playing and he stopped and anyone played even a single note or like even a single drum beat, he would scream at the top of his lungs. Smoke would come out of his ears. His face would turn bright red. And he would say, practice at home. That was his big thing. Like, not on my time. When I'm trying, like, practice at home, practice at home. Like, so every time I hear the word practice, I hear Mr. Osborne screaming at me and others, practice at home. And then he'd break his stick, and then he'd pull another one out, and he'd start going again. He was nuts. But every time I hear the word practice, I think of him. And his phrase today is relevant because it's what Jesus is saying. You want to realize how dependent you are on me? Practice at home trying to get through a day without me. Practice at home trying to have an an emotion that doesn't need my help. Practice at home trying to have a heart that is just like mine in these core areas of life. Practice at home and you will realize how much you need Jesus, which is the whole point of this whole series. It's moving our attentions from our actions. I'm good enough to our attitudes that say, I'm broken. It's moving from declarations of righteousness, I can do it, to dependence on righteousness from another, I need Jesus. That's the whole thought of this series. Realizing I can't do it without his help. 
And when we make it a daily practice to realize where we fall short every time, we will make it a daily practice to lean into Jesus over and over and over again. Because our righteousness is not a set of conditions that we meet so that Jesus will love us. Our righteousness is the consequence of being in a relationship with Jesus because he loved us and surrendering our hearts to him over and over and over again until they become more like his. I had a line this week in a devotional I was reading that I think summarizes the whole thought of this message from Tim Keller in our Proverbs devotion that is just this. It it hit me and sat on my heart all week long. I'm a loved failure. I'm a righteous in him sinner. I'm reading through Proverbs devotional with almost three dozen guys, about 34 people in our church this year. And about once a week, I'll read a line that just hits my heart and I'll text it to all of them and say, this is a big deal to me today. I I don't know that I'm going to be able to shake this statement today. And all week long, I've been thinking of this. Christian, you right with God? Yes, but only because of Jesus. Because spiritually, I'm a failure, but I am loved. And morally, in the code of Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I am right with God because of Jesus. I am a loved failure. I am a righteous in him sinner. One of the men that I'm reading this book with, I sent sent this out to a bunch of them. And almost immediately, he sent me back this statement, not knowing what I was going to preach on this week. Just happened this way because it does when you grow. I sent him this statement. I'm a love failure, a righteous in him sinner. I said, man, this, this has hit my heart heavy today. And he sends this back. When I was a Pharisee, I didn't see this desperate need for Jesus. I used to think there were sinners and righteous. But as God continues to break my heart for him, I believe there are sinners and sinners who repent and need Jesus. This room today is not filled with sinners and righteous. It's filled with sinners and sinners who have been declared righteous because of Jesus. Because a group of people has said, Lord, I've got nothing to offer you, but if you will live in relationship with me, I will live in relationship with you. If you don't have a right standing with God today, you can choose that relationship with God. You don't have to bring anything to the table, but your heart, your willingness to follow. And if you're a Christian who's the older brother Pharisee, stop chasing rewards. Lean into relationship. Let God deeply, deeply impact your soul. Would you pray with me as we consider these things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus, here's what I want you to know. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And he is not looking at your actions trying to figure out if you're good enough to make the cut. He's looking at your heart and seeing if you desire a relationship with the Father. It's God's love for you. It's Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you. And it's you placing your faith in those realities and surrendering your future and your past and your eternity to God. That's what allows you to have a right relationship with God. And if you're here or watching online, you've never done that. But God is saying today, you can have a right relationship with me without getting it perfect every time. Just tell God, you choose Jesus in your place. Say, how do I do that? Just open your heart and pray to the God of heaven. You can repeat this prayer or something like this prayer after me. Just say this from your heart to heaven. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of sin. Cleanse me of the filth 
that is in my heart and my head because of my past. Heal me of my brokenness. Lead me in my future. Today I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. Today I commit to become a Christian. If you just pray that with me in just a second, Pastor Mike will be up here and he'll let you know how you can tell us about your spiritual decisions. We can celebrate with you, pray with you, get you some resources, give you a gift, just help you as you start your spiritual journey. But before we close in prayer, Christians, Christians, are you practicing every day seeing and experiencing the attitudes of your heart that demand more surrender and more dependence on Jesus? Christians, are you giving Jesus more of your heart every day so he can make it like his? Or have you memorized a few actions you're good at and you think that makes you righteous while everyone else is a sinner? Humble yourself and lean into Jesus. If you've only loved him for the reward and not the relationship, ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you be completely fulfilled in your relationship with him and the promises of his truth and presence in your life. Father, we thank you for Jesus' teaching today and for how he started it. Saying, listen, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Because I'm not trying to throw away old truth for new truth. I'm trying to take the truth and make it super applicable to your life so you will see that you need me. God, we need Jesus. Lord, if being right with you was a list of five or six things, we could do our best to meet those. But if being right with you is dependent on being perfect, we need someone to be perfect for us. We need Jesus. So forgive us for being Pharisees. Forgive us for being older brothers who look down on everyone else instead of looking deep down inside of ourselves. And God, as every day we practice at home, being aware of attitudes, being aware that only Jesus can fix us as we lean into you, lean back into us and transform our lives. That's our desire. That's our hope. Well, that's what we're walking towards. We pray you'll help us with that. And we pray it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.